Hi, this is Pastor Danny Deeth, and I'm so excited that you have chosen to join us here at First Presbyterian Church for worship today. Know that the love, grace, mercy, and joy of Jesus Christ beckon you to join our church family as we seek to celebrate our journey with Christ in this service of worship. So we're glad you're here. Come on in. Our first lesson comes in the very beginning from Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This is the word of the Lord. It is good to be here again. This is the second time I've been in church since March. It's the second time I've been asked to preach. And so, so far, I've been isolated, and it's great. Even though I know all of you that are here, there are many of whom are not here. It's just great to be with the people of God. So I appreciate this opportunity to be with you. Thank you for the invitation. The Scriptures are written to answer great questions. They're written to answer profound questions, like, in the beginning, God created. Great question, how did it all start? Another great question, who is this Jesus? And the scripture tells us that we ought to depend on Him so profoundly and so deeply that we commit our life to Him and we find meaning in Him. And so one of the great questions is, can we take that seriously? Can you really believe that? That this itinerant Galilean carpenter preacher from a couple of thousand years ago was so important that your life ought to depend and be invested on Him and how He can transform your life. Scripture is not designed to just inform us. It is not designed to just say to us, this is who this Jesus was. Isn't that interesting? No, quite more than that, the Scripture is not designed to inform us. The stories, the passages about Jesus are designed to transform us. Imagine for a moment if you were to tell the story about the coming of this Jesus, how you would tell the story. Well, one of the gospel writers decided to tell the story, and in it he talks about a star, a celestial star traveling across the sky, and wise men with valued gifts following that star to bestow them on a Christ child. Last week I was in Hilton Head Island, and... There was the convergence of Jupiter and Saturn, which many people believe is the star that the wise men followed. So my wife and I went out on the beach and we looked up and there we saw in the sky Saturn and Jupiter converged. 
Was it the real star? I don't know. But it gave me a sense of sacredness and holiness to look up there and think, maybe that's what the wise men followed. But another gospel writer telling the story talks about an angelic choir coming and singing to shepherds who were out in the fields watching their flocks. And when they hear the story sung, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, good men, good to all men, they decide to go to Bethlehem. They want to see the baby. Two great stories I remember as a small boy and as I grew into adolescence, every year our church had its pageant. And we were going to be assigned parts in the pageant. And all of us boys slid down in our seats hoping that the leader of the pageant would not call on us for a speaking part. We all wanted really to be one of the wise men because they came in later. And we'd don our father's robe and we'd put on an aluminum foil crown and we'd walk our way forward. That's a story. We took part in a story. But there is a third story about Christmas that doesn't have wise men and stars and it doesn't have angelic choirs and shepherds. John tells a different story. And he summarizes his Christmas story with one verse. The Word came and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. It's John 1.14. The Word came to be flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. From that, I would like to take out one small part. We beheld His glory. For this is an experiential text. It isn't designed, it isn't included by the author to simply challenge our thinking, but convince us that our lives ought to be invested in following this one that has been seen. We cannot see glory any more than we can see love, faith, hope. What we see instead is the evidence of these great virtues. So when the author says, we beheld his glory, I'd like to suggest, here's what the author might be saying. How did they see His glory? First, they saw His glory in the announcing. For hundreds of years, they had heard those wonderful verbs, those wonderful words, and they had lived them, and they had lived expectantly hoping for them, words that said things like, O you 
Bethlehem of Judea. Out of you shall come one, and his kingdom will last forever. Or again, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Everlasting Father, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. That's the one they expected. And the announcement about this one, the announcing of this one, had been echoing over the centuries as they waited and waited for this one to come. And the announcing continued when the angel Gabriel came to Joseph and said, boy, have I got good news and bad news. The bad news is Mary is pregnant and going to have a child and you're not the father. The good news is you'll name him Emmanuel because he will save the people, all of us, from our sins. And the angel came to Mary and said, I know you don't understand it. You're a young woman, barely of marriageable age. And God has looked, with you, looked upon you with favor. You will bear the child that will be the Savior of the world. So the first way they beheld his glory was in the announcing of the coming of this child. The second was in the arrival of this child. In the arriving of this child, shepherds, wise men came. There were choirs that sang heavenly celestial songs. There were these wonderful gifts, valued myrrh, frankincense, gold, that were privileged gifts fit for a king. And I guess it is just incumbent upon governments to ask people to stand in line. But a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And everybody had to go to the, the, the city of their heritage. The census couldn't be taken because of people coming to you and just getting your name, the number of people in your household. No, we have to all migrate back to where our ancestors came from. So Joseph and Mary have to make their way to Bethlehem. They beheld his glory in the announcing and they beheld his glory in the arriving. They beheld his glory in the attending. If I were to say to someone, did you attend high school? Some people would say yes, meaning I entered, say, in the ninth grade. I left after the twelfth grade, and thankfully nothing in between changed me at all. That's simply being present, physically present. Like today, each and every one of you sitting here and each of you at home watching this are, quote, in attendance. Well, that's not what the word attend really means. The word attend comes from a word that means to stretch. And if you come today or if you're watching today and out of this experience your life is not stretched, you're not in attendance. You're simply present.
And when Jesus came, they discovered he was attending. He was stretching. Luke tells us he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God. Man, he didn't begin in that cradle, in that manger with it all together. He had to stretch. He had to grow. And in the course of that stretching of his life, in the course of that expanding his horizons, in that course of him listening to people, engaging people, he was changed and they were changed because he changed. If you're not familiar with these stories, I would, I'm just going to reference some of them briefly. I'd encourage you to go to the first four books of the New Testament and read them and look at the ways in which Jesus encounters people and how he attends to them. Think of these stories. He meets a woman at the well and he says to her, you've been married multiple times and the man you're living with right now you are not not married to. And it transforms her life. He's attending to her need, her deepest of needs. There's a woman caught in the act of adultery and all of the prying eyes of her judges her critics are saying, should we stone her to death or not? And Jesus attends to her need by saying, if you there, you who are her judges, have lived without sin, you have the right to do so. Notice he's in attendance. He's not just physically present. He's expanding his and their horizons. Or he enters a town and there's a blind man that's being shushed by the crowd. Be quiet. Jesus doesn't have time for you. Jesus has got better things to do. And Bartimaeus cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops the crowd and stops the procession to meet the need of one single individual. He's in attendance. Or on another occasion, a rich young man comes to him and says, Jesus, what do I have to do to find eternal life? And Jesus said, well, live by the commandments. And the man defending, justifying himself says, I have not violated one of those ten commandments. I have lived spotless and blameless. Now what do I have to do to be in the kingdom of God? in living my life as God would wish. And Jesus attends to him. He says, knowing the one thing that was keeping this man out of the kingdom of God, out of God's having complete control of his life, sell all you have and give it to the poor. Jesus wasn't concerned about the amount of money. He was concerned about what was keeping the man out of God's control. And he attends to the need of that man and invites him to new life. Or on another occasion, he's entering Jericho and he looks up in the tree and there is Zacchaeus, a despised tax collector. And Jesus attends to his needs. He says, come down, I'm going to your house of all homes. I'm going to your house. I'm going to eat with you. I'm going to fellowship with you. And it's life transforming. For by the end of that conversation, Zacchaeus says, 
If I've stolen anything from anybody, if I've robbed anybody, I'm going to give it back multiple times over. They beheld his glory in the announcing, in the arriving, in the attending, and they beheld his glory in the animating. In 1928, a profound thing happened. A little mouse that had been for years living on paper under the artistic hand of Walt Disney suddenly came to life. In Steamboat Willie. Suddenly that little mouse could move. That little mouse could talk. That little mouse had emotion. That day, Minnie and Mickey Mouse were really born. Always before, they had been on a sheet of paper. They'd been drawn and drawn and redrawn. And we called that process animation. When that which is dead comes to life. And the disciples the writers of the New Testament, the followers of Jesus Christ said, we have seen him, he is alive. That which is dead is now alive. First by a couple of women who went to the tomb, and then a couple of disciples who followed them. Soon he met with groups, small groups in rooms, and eventually hundreds of people were able to say, we have seen the Lord. He is animated. That which was dead is now alive. And hundreds of people testified, testified, and shared their story of encounter with him. That which is alive was once dead and is now animated. And then last, we have beheld his glory in the ascending. Some 50 days after all of that story occurred, his closest followers stood on a hill and they watched him lift from the ground and go from their sight. And they heard a voice say, you see this Jesus that has just been taken away from you? He shall come again. You shall see him. The ascension in his ascending. He is going away to return again. And they gathered together and they shared their stories. They shared the ways in which Jesus had transformed their own individual lives. They shared the ways in which they had witnessed his sermons and how they attended to the spiritual needs of people. They shared their stories of seeing those who were ill made well. And they shared the expected Conclusion to that story, a day when he shall return. 
I share this today, a very unusual sermon for me. Normally, I choose one text and I'm almost legalistically attached to it. But this is the beginning of a year in which I have lived with disappointment. We all have lived with disappointment and discouragement. We've seen political, economic, educational, family, friend, relationships, all of those and other ways in which we've been disappointed and discouraged. And I speak today because I want each, of, each and every one of you to have a sense of hope. Hope not just in a vaccine, as important as that is, but hope in one who for centuries was announced and then miraculously at the right time, the very right time, suddenly appeared. And then for the time he was here on earth, was able to meet the needs of each and every person he encountered. And then as he said, I will return. So my hope is not based on economics. It's not based on politics. It's not based on education. My hope is based on the fact that I have for years invested my life in the realization that this one not only had his glory beheld by people then, but I have seen it in my own life. So I encourage each and every one of you here today, lift up your hearts. For you are not here today because of economics or politics. You're here because Jesus Christ has transformed your life. You're not here just because of these ancient stories that go back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. You're here because you put it in practice in your own life. Your life was transformed. But not just once. Earlier you confessed, confessed your sin and again your faith was renewed. And so as we begin this year, I don't know what this year holds. I have no idea of what's coming. I'm always afraid of those who say it can't get any worse. But I do think it will be better. But I'm not basing my hope on a vaccine or an election or politics or education or economics. I'm basing my hope on one who promised to be with me and be with you each and every day, forever and always. If you've made that decision today, I want you to reaffirm that decision that you made it once to found your life, to build your life on faith in Jesus Christ. If you've not made that decision, I want to encourage you to take the next month or two and make that decision and live it out. A lot of people say to me, well, how do I know I can trust it? And the answer is you don't until you try it. There are lots of things in life that I didn't like until I tried them. 
I could give you a long litany of foods that I absolutely swore I hated until I tried them. By the way, there's still a few of them I still hate. <laughs> but a lot of them I came to love. And if you want to know if this story I've talked about today is true, the only way I can tell you to find out is try it. We know the divorce rate will be up because of the pandemic. We know the rates of alcoholism and drug use are up. And what is going to change that? Commit your life to the next month or two of living as if you were a follower of Jesus Christ. Test it. There's nothing to lose and everything to gain. Let us pray. Oh God, we have evidences of those who wrote your word and how they beheld your son's glory. They saw it in his earthly ministry and they saw it as he left this earth. They beheld his glory. And it was so profoundly moving for them that their lives were changed. As we begin this new year, oh God, may we recommit to you Oh God, as we begin this year, may we commit our lives to you. And may we live out our faith as fully and completely as we can because we too in our lives have beheld your glory. <laughs>